This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? This is Alex, joined as always by James. Greetings. On the back of a 2-1 win for Everton at St. James Park against Newcastle, this is two wins in two for Mr. Don Carlo Ancelotti. James, how are you feeling? What's your initial reaction after the match? I'm elated, Alex. I think it feels it feels so good to get two wins back to back under the new manager and to do so in such a way that we we never really saw under Marco Silva, where we saw the first of all, took the lead early. We conceded, then conceded, which was unfortunate, but then to show the fight and resilience to come back and get that second goal, absolutely massive. And furthermore, I thought that Carlo Ancelotti did a tremendous job with his substitutions and making in-game adjustments to what Newcastle were trying to do. Because make no mistake, Newcastle, we we came out and dominated probably the first 15, 20 minutes of the first half and even probably the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half. But there were stretches in this game where Newcastle were very competitive and were looking to get back into the game and created a fair amount of chances. And we did a good job of keeping them at bay. Our defense was very solid. Mason Holgate in particular stands out. Overall, I mean, to make the number of changes that he did after midweek by, you know, his hand was his hand was forced due to the quick turnaround. But to do to do those changes and to have them all work out and to get the players playing in such a cohesive way where we're creating chances on a regular basis and looking so much more comfortable and confident than we did under Marco Silva and even Duncan Ferguson, if you consider the amount of possession that we've had under Ancelotti versus Ferguson, it just it's a great time to be a blue. It feels so nice to move towards the end of December, you know, in a completely different position to where we thought we would have been at the beginning of the month. If you looked at the run of fixtures we were to play, to come out of that unscathed with no losses is incredible, save the, you know, we won't talk about the Leicester match, but in the league undefeated, it just feels really, really good. There's no other way to put it. Very well said. I mean, you look at, let's even just, let's talk about point accumulation in the table, right? I think it took us 15 matches to acquire 14 points, the first 15 fixtures. And yet in the last five matches, we've accumulated 11 alone, right? Obviously six points in the last three days with Carlo. But another great point that you made was about the tactical flexibility. I'm pretty sure we saw about three different formations during the match. The first one, obviously, we started off with. I think the second one was when Delph came on, and the third was the further substitution with, I think, what, Leighton Baines coming out. So it was interesting to see the difference in game management. And for me, the biggest point of the match, the biggest revelation that I that, that occurred to me was the fact that how many times under Marco Silva... Did we see a substitute impact the match as much as Fabian Delph did when Carlo Ancelotti subbed him on and changed formation? Probably never, right? Like never? Very rarely, I would say, at best. So, right. I mean, don't get me wrong. Fabian Delph's a good player. He he really helped 
in the midfield. He brings quality. We, we started with Davies and Sigurdsson, so we didn't have really any defensive uh, capability in the center of the pitch. So obviously it's going to help at face value, right? But he takes off Moise Keane. He brings on uh, he brings on Fabian Delph, switches to what I thought to be somewhat of a 4-3-3. And immediately we controlled possession. We controlled the ball. And and, and it felt like essentially the, the pressure was just relieved off our defense because again you know as you said there were stretches in the match in which Newcastle really dug in used Andy Carroll for pretty much the entire match to get any sort of momentum going which worked very effectively and and so I thought that it was just really really refreshing and and it it just it's nice to see you know when the camera pans over to the touchline to see that that raised eyebrow nowadays. Stark contrast to what we were used to what we've become accustomed to not quite the passionate figure that Duncan Ferguson was in the interim, but the calm and cool mind that I think we all need or Everton really need at the helm at this point in time. The thing about the substitutions that's really interesting is that none of them were like for like. He was making adjustments to the tactics. He used his his substitutes as a means to adju- adjust the game plan to accommodate what the team was able to do in response to what Newcastle were trying to do. And that's something that, again, Marco Silva just never was capable of doing. You would see like-for-like substitutions, or you would see midfielders coming off for attackers to just throw them all on at the for the last 10 minutes to, to make an impact. But let's r- wind it back a little bit to the start of the match, because he did make some significant uh, adjustments to the starting lineup. We saw Baines return to the side. We saw uh, Theo Walcott come in, uh, Jabril Sidibe moving back into his more familiar straight right-back role. And then Michael Keane, um, yeah, Michael Keane, I think I wanted to start with him because I he was really poor in the first half, probably the first 30 to 35 minutes. But in the second half, I was actually pretty impressed with what he was able to do. He seemed to, to hunker down and was ended up winning a lot of aerials and some tough spots. Andy Carroll, just for all of you at home, won 24 aerials today, according to who scored. That's more than our entire team combined. And it's, he, it's no surprise that Andy Carroll is a massive aerial threat but that number is just absolutely staggering because even when Dominic Calvert-Lewin has one of those games where we were playing long ball and he was dominant in the air he would get around like 10 to 14 so to have 24 just shows what a focal point he was and beyond him Newcastle were really struggling to create I thought Almiron was was relatively good but the the 4-4-2 that we started with really helped us it seems like the players are already settling into that formation despite having, I guess, less than a full week with the manager to implement the tactics. And overall, I mean, Mason Holgate, again, just massive performance from him today. Doesn't matter where you play him, it spells. Once Baines came out, he moved even to the outside role and was dominant there. Rich Arlison, not his most effective first half, I would say, but in the second half, he came on very strongly and the kid just runs his legs off. You can't fault him. The Towards the end of the match, he had a couple just ridiculously fast runs down the wing to to pressure the opposition, whether it was in defense or with the ball at his feet. Um, there's a lot to talk about and dissect today, but I'm just overwhelmed with a sense of satisfaction that we finally seem to be headed in the right direction after what was such a brutal, brutal couple months to start things off for the year. Absolutely. I think you highlighted pretty much most of the worthy candidates. I'd also say Sidibe had another really, really good match. I personally have not seen his who scored rating. I haven't looked at his specific statistics, but I do know he created numerous chances. I really liked a lot of his passes 
his inverted passes into the feet of Moyes Keane and Dominic Calvert-Lewin throughout the match. I thought that, you know, that was nice to see in general because we know with Marco Silva, literally the game plan was give the ball to the fullback and the fullback will pass it down the line, right? That that's what, that was the game plan. Now we see that we are, we are kind of spreading our attack more. We're being far more, um, how you say fluid in, in what we're able to do and, and what kind of avenues we want to take to approach attacking and, and moving for moving the ball forward. So it's nice to see. I thought Sidibe had a really good match and, and actually kind of, kind of dealt with Almiron, but he's just a very pacey individual to be honest. But the last person naturally who was my man of the match, I think he has to be a man of the match is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He scored a brace very well deserved because you look at a lot of the a lot of the opportunities he's had throughout the season that he hasn't buried. So while you could say maybe the first one was somewhat of a of a lucky get, he still had to position himself and finish it. The second one, not the great finish, but it doesn't matter because his run to peel off the center back and go far post and the assist by Richarlison was perfect. I loved every bit of it. And I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin deserves it. He's now on eight goals in the Premier League this season, which brings him to the top score for Everton. And let me remind everyone, that was our 20th match. That is literally one past the halfway point. So he has plenty of time to continue his fine form of five goals in five matches. And I'm really excited to see how he continues. But I also hope that Richarlison can continue to kind of add to his tally as well and get back into the double digits because we're going to need it. Yeah, no question Dominic Calvert-Lewin deserves man of the match today. He was immense. Um, Seven aerials won in a game where we weren't really playing through the air all that much. And what impressed me about Calvert-Lewin today was, you know, he's he's clearly based on his appearances for Everton in his career thus far. He's not a Gilfie Sigurdsson type who's capable of banging one in from distance, but it seems like his positioning in the box and his his ability to win balls in the air and be in the right place at the right time, similar to Richarlison, is paying dividends now. He's finally developing that IQ, I think, the the game awareness to match his physical attributes, which we've known about for a really long time. And combine that with a little bit of nice finishing and composure in the box, and you just see the dividends. It just starts paying dividends. It's been really refreshing. And again, it's like a resurgence because I think he scored, what, three or four goals under Marco Silva this season, and then he's got five in his last five. So he's on a really nice run of form. None of the goals are going to really uh, wow anyone. There's not much of a wow factor to them, but it goes in the back of the net. There's no complaints. And really, that's what you need from a striker. You need that poacher's mentality in a lot of ways. Um, I did want to touch on Moise Keane a little bit. I thought he showed moments where he looked really, really promising. It was obviously his first start since I September, I believe. So it's been a while for, for Moise. He looked a little off the pace. Sometimes it would be Calvert-Lewin making a really aggressive run forward and Keane just didn't seem quite up for it as far as the work rate. But the talent is definitely there with him. And I think the more that those two can play together, the better it's going to get. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, but I still you know, have questions about Keane this season. Is he going to be able to cement his place as a regular starter? But I do think that that, that duo of Calvert-Lewin and Keane up top has potential. The last player that I wanted to touch on that I don't think we've touched on yet is Tom Davis because I thought he was magnificent today in the middle of the park. Not easy with just a strictly two-man midfield, him and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, there's been a lot of questions that have been asked of Sigurdsson's ability to drop deeper in on, in the pitch and sort of do that type of job rather than being more advanced in, in the central 
almost second striker type of role he was under Silva. I thought Davies was incredible today. Um, it shows the faith that the manager already has in him that he decided not to pull him off on a yellow card when it was getting to that stage of the game where Newcastle were pressing aggressively. I thought, you know, Tom Davis just found those pockets of space to break the lines of Newcastle so, so well. And both, you could say the same for Sigurdsson too, because they were both just getting themselves in areas where they could receive the ball, turn and look to get the ball forward, which is something we've struggled with doing or getting rather from our midfielders for quite some time where it seems like anytime they get the ball, they're forced to immediately back pass. And today I thought, again, they both were really well positioned to feed each other and get each other in positions where they could spray the ball wider then turn and get the ball forward. So tip of the cap to Tom Davis as well. Yes, very good points. And and you know what, that that kind of made me, that led me down a path in, in my mind. And, and, and maybe you will echo my sentiments, but it's starting to feel like the likes of Tom Davies, Mason Holgate, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I feel like the fan base is maybe now starting to see them as official first team players, players that are in or around the starting 11. Whereas up until maybe this point, we always still saw them as as young, maybe fringe first team players. And so I think that I think Tom Davies specifically with, as you said, he got a yellow card um, decently early on in the match in general. he still was able to hunger down and, and make a lot of things happen. And he showed the maturity of the fact that he knew, you know, you, you can't put a foot in again by mistake or else, you know, that turns the match on its head. So it was nice to see for sure. So let's to kind of circle back about Calvert-Lewin, right? So, so fine run of form. Now, the thing is, we saw him under Marco Silva. He did all everything right except for score goals. But you could argue that he never really was given good opportunities to do so. He was always just posted up between two or three center backs and, and we would just swing it across and hopefully he would be able to get on the end of it. But it was never an early cross. Everyone, you know, the defense was always set. Now we're seeing a, a much more expansive play, a more fluid attack to an extent, right? Um, obviously, it's not amazing at the moment. But Carlo Ancelotti post-match three days ago said that he wanted Dominic Calvert-Lewin to focus more on the goal when he w- did not have possession of the ball. Now, compare that to today's post-match, in which, mind you, this is Carlo Ancelotti, one of the most winningest managers in world football currently. He said on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he is a fantastic striker, in my opinion. He's fantastic with his head. He has clever movement in the box. Sharp, but he's young, and for this reason, he has to improve. But here's the key uh, phrase. He is a humble guy. He doesn't talk a lot, but I think he's going to be a top striker in England and in Europe. He has all the qualities. James, how do you feel about Carlo Ancelotti saying that about Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Well, I would preface it by saying that he's perhaps a little bit biased given that he is our manager now and he does want to encourage the players. But I think it it's clear. I mean, we've known for years that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has all the physical attributes to be able to be successful in the Premier League. And if we eventually end up there, as we all hope we do in Europe, and now it's like we're finally seeing that start to come to fruition. Remember, 22 years old, he still has so much room to develop and grow. But again, the the pace that he has, the strength, the aerial ability, he ticks all the boxes that you would want from a striker. And again, the major critique of him was his finishing. But again, the counterpoint to that has always been, well, he gets no service. And I believe in the last few games, I think he had five or six shots, 
last match and he had five again today, he's finally getting service and getting opportunities to put his foot through the ball or his head on the ball in the box in dangerous areas. And you're seeing the results come from that. I think it's almost as simple as that. It's easy for fans to criticize the young players and the perhaps quote unquote fringe players when things aren't going our way, when we when they can't dig us out of a hole of a poor run of form, whatever it may be. But when the team's clicking and everything's going well and we're getting the best out of the players that we have at our disposal, it's clear that these players have something to offer this team in both the immediate, you know, current context of Everton as well as the future of where we're trying to go. These are valuable squad players, potentially starters, and you can't write them off, although many fans have already done had already done so with Calvert Lewin, I think most have changed their tune by now. And it's really good because personally, I always sort of felt that Calvert-Lewin, and you may be able to go back to the archives and find times where I said that maybe he's not quite up to scruff, but deep down, I sort of always knew that he was young and would continue to develop. And you just don't, you can't have that type of physical ability. And then it just doesn't click for whatever reason. So finally, it's starting to come together during the right time. And I don't know. And mind you, this team is still riddled with injuries. We still have numerous first teamers who can't play. And so as the team continues to get healthier, it's it's hard to see this team going anywhere but upwards. You know, I'm glad that you brought up the shots, right? The opportunities that Calvin Lewin did or did not have in the past. Matt Sheetham actually tweeted a really nice statistic, which might blow some of you away as it did me when I first saw it. In the last two matches under Carlo Ancelotti, Everton has had 43 shots, which is more than any Premier League side has had in the last two matches. But here's the thing. This is the most shots for Everton over two successive games in almost four years. And, you know, some will say, okay, well, look at the opposition. That's true. But don't tell me that over the last four years, we haven't played two lower table sides back to back at least a couple times. So I think that that's super positive. Again, as you just said, injury-ridden squad. And these are two matches that played three days apart. Well, not even, 48 hours apart in terms of kickoff. And so I think that's super, super impressive. I think that it was really nice to see the tactical flexibility that Carlo Ancelotti had, and I can't wait to see it continue. Now, of course, we're getting, or we have been in, in, in this crazy run of fixtures for the last couple of weeks. It is the 28th currently, and yet our next match comes thick and fast on the first day of the year, January 1st, 2020, against none other than Manchester City away. So how are we going to prepare for Man City away? Do you think that Carlo Ancelotti is going to feel maybe less pressure in this match because of the fact that he opened with two two wins and maybe even as far back as to say that because Duncan Ferguson was able to secure five points from his three matches in charge in the league? Well, look, just look at the table, Alex. I mean, we're in 10th place now. So immediately that alleviates a lot of the immediate um, or that alleviates a lot of the pressure that was on the team as far as considering the possibility of a relegation fight. This team's too good to get relegated. And I'll say it now until the end of the year, because there's just no way that we are amongst the three worst sides in the league. But yes, I think this game almost becomes a freebie now. But it, in the same token, like Manchester City have proven to be a very beatable side this year. They are not the reigning. I mean, they are literally the reigning champions, but they're not the same quality. They're not playing week in, week out with the same quality that they were playing with last year. And a lot of that just stems from their defense, because 
they've been shipping goals. I mean, they blew a 2-0 lead to Wolves the other day. And so, again, this is a beatable Manchester City side. This isn't anything that that Everton can't handle. And now we're showing that we can uh, hunker down when we go away and grind out results. Um, I think he'll be very optimistic, assuming that there's no major injuries. We'll get a couple of days of rest and he'll be able to name his strongest possible starting 11, which actually, based on the lineups that were named today, it's going to be interesting to see what he goes with. Does he go back to what we saw um, midweek, or does he try to keep some of these players in? Does he find a mixture? Because it's going to take some time for Ancelotti to figure out what his best lineup is. But again, the City game for me is very winnable. It's not going to be easy, but we talk about Calvert-Lewin. I mean, Manchester City is a team that he typically bullies and plays really well against. And I'm my mouth is watering at the thought of Calvert-Lewin, you know, going up against the center backs of Manchester City and being able to find a lot of joy in that area. So it's not going to be easy, but yes, the immediate pressure has been lifted. And I think this one is a bit of a flyer, but they're still going to be going in with the belief that they can come away with three points. You know, that's actually a really good point about Dominic Calvert-Lewin because you're completely right. He has been bullying Manchester City for the last couple fixtures. And the interesting thing is against Wolves, they started Fernandinho and Otamendi at center back. Uh, Otamendi is kind of a hound, if you will, but he's not very big. And so that that is, well, neither one of them are very big, right? So so that no, that will tell you right there that it'll, it'll offer the opportunity for Calvert-Lewin to win plenty of aerials. I'm not sure if it'll be 24 like Andy Carroll, um, <laughs> but it's going to be plenty of opportunity nonetheless. I still Kyle can't Walker, get over definitely. that. Yeah, no, no, that's that's a ridiculous stat. Maybe who scores broken? I don't know, man. I know. But nonetheless, obviously, City are still Manchester City, right? Their attack is largely healthy, and with that, that brings you to you know a goal differential of close to thirty. So while their defense is shipping goals, and they will absolutely be in the January transfer window for a center back or two. Let's not forget that they are extremely dangerous. And something that hap- you know, something like what happened in the 45th second with Michael Keane and Al Marone today uh-huh. during the New- Newcastle match, that that can happen against Raheem Serling or or Riyad Mahrez uh, on the first on Wednesday. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm not necessarily going into it with a lot of hope, but at the same time, we're sitting here with 11 points from five matches, uh, plenty of shots, and and. You know, what's interesting is what what might be nice is the fact that Bernard was rested completely today. So I thought that was pretty interesting because he was also taken off, I want to say, pretty early in the match a couple of days ago. So he'll be fully rested. Assuming he's fully fit, he didn't take a knock in training or or wasn't feeling a hamstring uh, the other day, then that'll be some very, very pacey, albeit short, fresh legs. Yeah, and it will hopefully Bernard can come in and make an instant impact. It will be extremely interesting to see what Ancelotti decides to do tactically versus Manchester City because naturally Burnley and Newcastle, no disrespect to either of those sides, but it's obvious that they're not going to set up the same way that Manchester City are. And we know that Marco Silva typically was able to get fairly decent results playing against the sides that tried to play more expansive style. This is Ancelotti's first opportunity to showcase his tactical mindset when it comes to these sorts of games. Of course, we played Arsenal, but that was Duncan Ferguson's last game. And that was, of course, a very, very ugly match. I'd expect us to be a bit more ambitious going forward, a bit more adventurous with the ball, and hopefully it pays dividends. But I'm very curious to just continue to learn more about Ancelotti and see what he 
chooses to do in and around games with substitutions, with tactical shifts, with all of those things, because so far he gets an A++ from me. Well, either way, I think we're both on high hopes, high spirits. I hope everyone listening has been as well. I think Everton has made the festive period as pleasant as possible. Honestly, we probably wouldn't have thought this was possible for the month of December. Either way, thanks so much for listening. Look out for our post-match episode on Wednesday after the match against City, and otherwise, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.